message this morning, and and uh, I I don't really have a Christmas message either. I I tried to get one actually, uh, in between watching the Forty ers win, which is very I don't know. You have to be a dedicated fan to to be five and ten and still be excited about winning. Can't tell me tell tell you how many of those games I've TiVo'd and just deleted without watching. But, um, you know, uh, last week I shared a message called Spirit Wars. Probably had more response from that message than I've ever had on any single message, except for maybe the message on apostolic eschatology, which I still get, um, I still get feedback from that. Why don't you just turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. I'm just going to do a few minutes of review, and um, I want to share a little bit more about Something I feel like we're in. Matthew chapter 2. Well, That's kind of where we started last week. Um, verse 16. Well, let's just go uh, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea in the days of Herod the king, the Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You know, this is kind of an amazing verse. Uh, You know, the Magi, I don't know if you know who they were, but they were the sorcerers. And I just read an article about, it was probably about a year ago actually, that the Magi were the sorcerers that Daniel actually was a part of in Babylon. And so one, the article I uh, read said that some of those, uh, they believed that, the, that these Magi were actually believers who have, had kind of uh, assimilated uh, the kingdom into, into, the, into the culture, and they were still speaking to kings. And it's kind of amazing that, that these, these kind of uh, mystics, found Jesus, and the Pharisees didn't. <laughs> the other thing that's kind of amazing to me, and this isn't really my message tonight, but they were looking in the stars. <laughs> Just the thought. They were, do you know that Acts chapter 2 said there'll be signs in the heavens? And Genesis 1 says that the sun and the moon were first made for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. That the that God put the planets, the stars, all the, the he he put all the sign all all the all the planets, the stars, and, and you know the constellations. It says that He put those there first for signs. <laughs> well, all is just moving. Okay, hopefully it gets better. What I'm getting at is that it's kind of a bummer that the dark side knows more about the heavens than we do. When God says, I'm going to put signs in the heavens above. <laughs> and the Magi who are like, they're like converted sorcerers. They're looking to the stars and they see a star and they say a child is born. Man, that's amazing to me. I'm, I'm not like trying to promote, uh, obviously, zodiac signs or some crazy thing like that. I'm just saying that wherever there's a false, there's a true. The devil, he doesn't create. He only fakes. He only falsifies what God's already doing. And how many of you know that 
You know, you, you don't find counterfeit $1 bills. You know why? Too much trouble to counterfeit something so worthless. So whenever we see something that is counterfeited, you have to, you have to think about how powerful the truth must be if the enemy's trying to water it down in his own kingdom. Just a good word right there. Now that was for free. When Herod the king heard this, that there was a king going to be born, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, gathering all the chief priests and the scribes and the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet, You, you and you, O Bethlehem, land of Judea, by no means least among the leaders of Judah, and out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search for the child, and um, when you found him, bring him to me. And you know what happens. Of course, the Magi figure out the king is going to kill the child, so they, they deceive him. And it goes on to say, um, in verse 16, When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged, and he sent and slew all the male children who were in, Jerusalem, who were in Bethlehem in all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the Magi. And, when he had, and, and then what had been spoken through the Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, a voice heard in Rampha weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, and they were no more. And tonight I just want us to take off from that and say, that, um, you know, the Christmas season is a great, you know, it's almost like, you know, how um, Joel talks about a great and terrible day. There's the great and terrible day of the Lord. You know, the, it's great for everybody. Judgment Day is an awesome day for everybody who knows the Lord because that's the day we get judged in righteousness and re- receive our award. Well, it's kind of a bummer day for people who haven't walked with the Lord. Kind of, you know what I mean. And, uh, and Christmas, and maybe that's an exaggeration, but Christmas is that, that kind of a season for people. If you listen, if you look at American surveys, you'll find that one of the worst days of the year, one of the worst seasons of the year for many people is Christmas. And uh, people are reminded, I think sometimes they're reminded of the fruit of their own lives. Sometimes they're reminded of the rejection in their lives. When, when fa- families are gathering and people are happy, sometimes they're reminded of, of their own unhappiness. And then sometimes just things happen in these seasons. But I'm reminded that the first Christmas was exactly like that. Like there was joy. The angel said that he was announcing exceeding, like Jesus would bring great joy, the good news of great joy. But in the midst of that great joy, there was also mourning and weeping because all the two-year-old uh, uh, children, uh, male children, two years old and down, were slaughtered that night. And so how many of you know that there, in, on one hand there was, there was great joy over a Savior being born, and on the other hand there was this great turmoil over the slaughter of thousands and thousands of male children. And so, and, and tonight I want to just talk to you, I started talking about spirit wars and how when the Lord starts to birth something new in our lives, oftentimes just in the birthing of something new, we find resistance and we find battle, we find a battle when we begin to break into new things. And so I just, I'm just taking a few minutes just to kind of review because tonight I want to talk a little bit more about how to win in spirit wars. 
You know, in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah began to rebuild the walls, and we talked all about this a week ago, when Nehemiah began to rebuild the walls, Sambella and Tobiah, who are the, the characters in the movie, the bad guys in the movie, T- Tobiah means, his name means good for nothing. So you know that you know who he represents in the movie. And, and it says, when, when Nehemiah began to rebuild the walls, that Sambella and Tobiah, they were, ang- they were angry and furious. And so whenever we start to rebuild walls in our life, whenever we start to take a responsibility for the rubble of our life and we begin to move forward, oftentimes what we find is that there is, there is somebody who's guarded. We find the reasons why those walls weren't built for 70 years. We, we, it looks like you just take some bricks and, I mean, how hard can this be? We hire a contractor. I mean, we built this, you know, $50 billion temple. We built a $50 billion, we rebuilt a $15 billion temple. How hard can it be to rebuild walls? <laughs> Hello. And, and we, we have this great victory. We, we see a victory in our lives and we think, well, if we, did, if we can do this, certainly we can do that. And what we find is that there is, there's a reason why those bricks haven't been laid and those gates haven't been replaced. But the reason oftentimes land, I mean, it lies in the invisible realm, which in my opinion, most Christians are completely oblivious of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. The word gifts in the Greek is not there. What Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians 12 is now concerning the spiritual, I don't want you to be unaware. And, when, and in my opinion, uh, and I'm, I know I love the church. I've dedicated my life to the church. I don't think I've missed 15 days of Sunday mornings in 30 years. So, I mean, I, I, we, come, we don't just come to church. We've become the church, and that's why we come to church. I'm talking about my family. We love church. I mean, two, three of my children are pastors, full-time pastors. I mean, we love the church. I'm not mad at the church. But in my opinion, and having traveled a lot and traveled to some of the finest churches in the world, the average Christian is completely unaware of the spirit realm. Most of the spirit realm for most Christians lies in the Bible and has no, nothing, no reality in their life. Like they don't even realize, and I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about intellectually or philosophically, they'll argue for the spirit realm and have no experience whatsoever. And if they do have an experience, it'll be a healing or there'll be some sort of thing like that. But I'm talking about the awareness that there is another world that lives among us and that totally and completely affects us because the second and third heaven have authority over the first heaven. Now, how many of you know, by by saying that, we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and every name that's ever been named. But how many of you know that if you don't realize if you don't understand the spirit realm, you can become a victim of the invisible man. I want to say that one more time. If you have no revelation or discernment about the spirit realm, you can become a victim of the invisible man. Not because you don't have authority over them, but because you are ignorant of the spirit realm and they begin to manipulate you through thoughts and intentions and setting you up and you don't realize it, so you get caught in a trap that you had power over. The, the, The enemy's power in a Christian's life lies in your ignorance. Let me say it one more time. The enemy's greatest power in a Christian's life lies in your inability to discern that it's an enemy. The great, because you have power, Jesus said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
Because you have power over that spirit, in other words, you're the big guy, he's the little guy. The only way he can beat you is by not letting you know he's the one who's tormenting you. And so all kinds of doctrines, and we've talked some about this last week, all kinds of doctrines, and in my opinion, doctrines of demons are developed in the midst of, of, of fighting, in the midst of warfare, in which we no longer have a devil that we oppose, and I am opposed to everything's the devil's fault, but let's bring a little balance to it today. We, 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 we develop doctrines where Christians have a, a dual nature and we believe that we're struggling against our old nature. And Paul very clearly said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And he began to name four spirits that have been released over the world that we struggle with. And we keep teaching people that it's their old man that they're struggling with. And how do you beat somebody who's already dead? I don't know if you got what I just said. When we teach people that it's your old nature that you struggle with, how do you struggle with someone you were supposed to kill? It's, it, 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 is, it seems completely... It, the church seems sometimes completely ignorant to the fact that God didn't fix you. He killed you. Baptism is a celebration. It is the Halloween of Christmas. The night of the living dead. You are the grateful dead. 47 times it says in Romans 5, 6, and 7, you died, you were crucified, you were dead. God isn't trying to fix your old man. He is trying to kill him. Are you getting, you see what I'm getting at? It's like, you're not struggling against him because you kill him. God doesn't say, okay, now, he said, Paul said it this way. He said, put him off. He didn't say, like, take him to the counselor and see if you can, like, live with him. He said, shoot him, kill him, and put on the new man. And what I'm getting at is this, is that when we come into struggles, oftentimes, the, the, you know how the devil is the, um, he's called the angel of light? You are the light in the world. The Lord, the angel, the, the angel of light isn't isn't trying to be an imposter of Jesus. He's trying to be an imposter of you. I don't know if you got what I just said. He's not pretending to be. He's not pretending to be God. He's pretending to be you. He puts on his you shirt, his you costume, and he comes into your life and he begins to talk to you and oppose you. And I just want to say it this way. Not all your thoughts are your own. I, um, I've taught on discernment for years. And I, I think that it's probably the... When I used to um, travel and do prophetic training, I bet you I had more questions about the gift of discernment than the gift of prophecy. And I was teaching on prophecy. Because discernment, the way discernment works, the gift, if you have the gift of distinguishing spirits or the gift of discernment, same gift, just depending on what version of the Bible you read. If somebody has an evil spirit that is attacking them, influencing them, or in the case of an unbeliever, is in them, when they get close to you, you hear what they're hearing. 
So if somebody has a spirit of pornography, I'm not talking about a problem with pornography, I mean they have a spirit on them. If it's really an evil spirit. When, it's, when you sit next to them, you'll start to have photographic images come up on your screen. You know why? Because they have a metron. When you get into their metron, you start to be influenced by what's influencing them. I'm convinced that some people, this is some people, are diagnosed as being bipolar who actually have a very strong gift of discernment and no one's ever taught them how to use it. And they move from metron to metron and don't understand that they're being influenced by what's influencing other people. And instead of doing something about the, 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 um, the information they're receiving, they get underneath that thing and begin to have mood shifts instead of creating kingdom shifts. That's just a good word right there. Some people's discernment so strong they can go from city to city and they can tell what, what spirits over the city. Now, when I talk about discernment, almost always I give negative examples, but discernment also distinguishes what's, what kind of anointing is on people and what, what angelic hosts are around people who are being protected by them. So it's not just a negative thing. But for, um, anyway, for the sake of tonight, we talked about, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, we talked about how when Nehemiah began to rebuild the walls, that's when his problems began. And I, and I just had this thought tonight, it's probably pretty simple, but what you do when you're afraid will determine your destiny. I know it's really simple, but let me just say it again. What you do when you're afraid will determine your destiny. Because most people, that, let me say this, the, the most common thing that we do when we're afraid is back up. And what we, what we need to realize is that we're afraid because somebody's resisting us who's held our land for a long time. And instead of backing up, we need to move forward. If you make room for fear in your life, you occupy less and less and less land until pretty soon you don't want to come out of your own bedroom. Because the goal, the enemy's goal, is to scare you into disobedience. I, I want to read you just a couple of scriptures that we read the other day in the book of Nehemiah. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Um, I'll just capture a couple of the phrases that tonight that we already talked about last week. Verse uh, chapter six, verse ten. When I entered the house of Shemaiah the son of Deliah who was confined at home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, Should a man like me flee, and should one such as me go into the temple to save his life, I'll not go in. Listen to this. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered this prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Simbalat had hired him. Listen to the purpose. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they have an evil report, so that they might have an evil report 
that they could reproach me with. Remember, O God, Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these words of theirs, and also Nodadiah the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets, listen to this, who were trying to frighten me. So the wall was completed in, 20, in the 25th of the month of Elu in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, and the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, and they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. And this is just, we made, we spent a little bit of time on this last week, but there's two points that I want, to, I want you to see here. The first one is, it says, when, when, Nehemiah, when Nehemiah makes a choice, to, he reminds himself of who he is, and he says, should a man like me flee? And he makes these kind of statements all through the book. He says, I'm doing a great work for God, is one of his statements to the enemy, and I can't come talk to you right now. Another time he said, he said should a man like me flee... Could one such as me go into the temple to save his life? I'll not go in. And then he says, verse 12, Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. I, I want to just, just share something with you. In Isaiah 54, it says, Oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. Oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. L- let's reverse that for a minute. What happens when you do get afraid? Oppression comes into your life, and you begin to think... Under pressure, oppression is pressure from the demonic realm. You begin to think under that realm, and instead of perceiving and being revelatory and understanding what's happening to you, you begin to get under that realm, and you begin to be blind to what's happening in your life, and the, and the, the obstacle begins to grow, you begin to get afraid, and fear and oppression begin to be a cycle in your life. Are you with me? And so, you know, here he said, he, Nehemiah says, he, t- he reminds himself of who he is, and he says, should a man like me flee? And you can imagine that with that statement that he's thinking about who he is and what he's accomplished for God and what's God's, what God has accomplished for him. You know, one of the, one of the, I think one of the most powerful things that has happened in the last five to six years in the body of Christ is the body of Christ has begun to fa- find out who she is. And we begin to say, you know, God's an awesome God, and he, ha- and he gives birth to amazing children. And we began to say to ourselves, we are a royal priesthood, we are a chosen race, we are a holy nation, and we began to tell ourselves what God says about us. We began to believe what God says about us. Listen, what happens when we begin to, when we begin to believe what God says about us is that we begin to move in new realms because no longer when the, the enemy comes in and says, listen, you are no good rotten sinner, you, you know what, you, 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 you're a fearful person, you are, you know... What happens is when the enemy comes in, Nehemiah said, should a man like me flee? And he begins to recount to himself the attributes that God has instilled in him as a man of God, as a woman of God. Come on. One of the greatest weapons of warfare against the powers of darkness is for you to remind yourself who the the enemy is is trying to torment, who he is messing with. And I'm not talking about, obviously he's... He's messing with God, but he's messing with the king's daughter. He's messing with the king's son. And and there are times for you to be very confident in God. In the book of Hebrews, God says, I take no pleasure in someone who shrinks back from me. And And then he goes on to say, therefore, with great confidence and boldness, I want you to approach the throne. There's something about being confident about who God's made you to be. 
You know, everybody, um, there isn't one person in, our, in this place who doesn't have weaknesses. If you, if you think you have no weaknesses, I've found your weakness. You are a deceived person. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't have weaknesses. There isn't a person in this room, and I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about weaknesses. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't have areas in their life to improve on. There isn't a person in this room that shouldn't work on areas. I mean, everybody ought to be working on, an area, on areas of your life or your weeks. Everybody say amen. There are times to examine those places, and there are times not to. There are times to evaluate with the Holy Spirit where you need improvement, and there are times not to. There are times to deal with things in your life, and there are seasons to not deal with the things in your life. I know this is going to get letters. If you can find something wrong with you without the Holy Spirit, you can't fix it anyway. If you, you know, David said, search me, O Lord. He didn't say, I search me, O Lord. Because when you search, let me just, I'm just trying to be practical for a minute. When you're under this kind of warfare that Nehemiah was under, and we're going to look in just a second at Elijah, when you're under this kind of pressure, I'm talking about you're in a season of war. And I talked to you last week about, uh, uh, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6, 6 not sex, 6. It's clarifying for the podcast. Paul called it an evil day. And I told you that it, when that word day there doesn't mean 24 hours. It's talking about a season. He says, when you've done everything to stand in the evil day, stand. There are seasons of warfare. There are seasons of peace. How many of you know that? There are seasons. And, you know, I find that, that warfare is sometimes like a virus. Like it, it goes through a cycle. You, you, you enter into this, you know, anyone ever had a virus? And you, you go to the doctor and he's like, well, yeah, we can't really give you any antibiotics for that. It'll just, you'll just go through a cycle. And he can almost describe the cycle to you. And sometimes warfare, warfare is like that. Can't talk tonight. Sometimes warfare is like that. Like you enter into this cycle and you, ca- you can prolong it. But sometimes I don't know that you can shorten it. You know, I believe that the children of Israel went into the wilderness. When they went into the wilderness, I believe they were supposed to be there for 40 days. It's my own personal belief. It was actually 27 days journey with a million and a half people from Egypt to the promised land. 27 days, they figured, going about a mile and a half to two miles an hour, eight hours a day. It was about a 27-day journey. I believe they were supposed to be in the wilderness for 40, 40 days, but they turned it into 40 years. How many know you can prolong your testing? But there are things that happen in the wilderness... There are things that happen, you know, there's lots of different words that I could use that you could connect with. David said it this way in the 23rd Psalm, which is the first Psalm I ever memorized, the first verse I ever memorized, Bible verse. He said, even, the, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You could call it the valley of the shadow of death. Paul called it the evil day. You know, um, uh, Moses said it was the wilderness. Whatever you want to call it, it's those times when you're up against obstacles 
And there are times when you're up, up against obstacles and you can prolong them, but I'm not sure that you can shorten them because of what's supposed to happen in those wilderness seasons of your life. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted, tested by the devil, the Bible says. And when he left the wilderness, he left, it says, in the power of the Spirit, capital S. There's something about the seasons of warfare in our life that when we, when we win in the wilderness, we leave in the power of the Spirit. There's something, it's like a consummation. It's like a, it's like a promotion. It's like there's something that happens when you encounter the enemy, you beat him in the wilderness, and suddenly you leave in the power of the Spirit. The, the, the struggle is, is that not everyone beats him in the wilderness. Some people have many wildernesses, and some people have prolonged their wilderness. And, and I started to tell you that there are times in your life to not examine how you're doing. One of the things that, I, that I've learned that, uh, is in warfare, true will warfare, is to not ask myself what's wrong with me when I'm in the middle of a battle. I, it's not the time to like decide to clean your gun. <laughs> That's a good picture right there. Can you imagine being in a battle? In a, you know, you're in Iraq, and the, you know, the terrorists are shooting at you, and you got a sliver in your finger. And you're like, Johnny, can you help me with the sliver? <laughs> or your gun's dirty. You're like, you know, I really need to buff this thing, right? You know, there are times to deal with your stuff. Come on, are you hearing me at all, or am I losing us? There are times to cl- there's time to clean the- your gun. There are times to take out the slivers in your life. There are times to deal with your issues that are true and really there, and at times very painful. There are times to deal with those, but in the middle of the battle is not a great time to decide how clean your gun is or if you have a sliver. I mean, the thing you want to learn in the battle is keep your head up. Did you get that? Keep your head up, remember the Lord, and don't let fear tell you what to do. I wish I could convey everything that's in my heart tonight. I feel like I've learned some things the hard way that it's not necessary for other people to learn that way. One of the one of the things that happens in the battle, one of the weapons that the enemy wants to use in our lives is introspection. And I share with you last week that in the book of Nehemiah, there was four attacks on Nehemiah when they started rebuilding the wall. The first one is, who are these feeble Jews? The greatest attack on your life will come over, who are you? Who are you? Who do you think you are? You're a feeble Jew. You are... You are, you're, you're, you're not a mature Christian. Listen, let me tell you about all the things you've done wrong. You're feeble. You're, you're weak. And, 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 the, and the enemy will come in and give you a list of all the times that you've failed. Why? He wants to attack you at the very root system of your identity. Listen, do not negotiate with terrorists. You want to go to your pastor or you want to go to a counselor, you might like invite 
scrutiny from accountability over your identity, but you're not going to negotiate with the terrorist over who he thinks you are. And when I'm talking about negotiating, what I'm saying is, is that when your identity is attacked in a battle, you don't even want to defend yourself because you have to go down to the Valley of Ono to have that conversation. And you can't win that conversation. Oh, man. Listen, if I have a problem in my person, I don't mind if Bill or Danny or Paul or any of my team come and talk to me about things in my life. That's a good thing. But I'm not going to negotiate with an evil spirit over my identity. I mean, I'm not even going to have a conversation with him. I'm not going to open up dialogue with him. As soon as you open up any dialogue with him, besides ignore, you begin to lose. What I do when I'm in battle is I remind myself, not the devil, I remind myself who I am. I'm a, I'm a son of a king. I was redeemed by God himself. I have a new heart and a new mind. And God says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have eternity ahead of me. I have a great history before me. I have the blood of Jesus flowing through my veins. I've been forgiven for everything I'll do, everything I've ever done, and everything I'll do in the future. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so valuable that the king himself died for me. And he loves me, and he's given me eternity, and he said that I know the plans I have for you, not plans for calamity, but plans to give you a future and a hope. And I remind myself of who God said I am. The next thing the devil wants to do is talk to you about your motives. Can they restore it for themselves? Listen, all I'm, I'm just trying to be really practical tonight. No conversation with the devil ever works. None. I can tell you how I know that. I've never had a conversation with the devil where I came out feeling good about myself. Don't matter what I said. He is a master negotiator. He's been doing this for thousands of years. It's like inviting a Jehovah's Witness in your house on steroids. Well, I'm going to convert him. No, you're not going to convert him because he's not coming to your house to hear anything that you have to say. I'm not mean that you won't convert him, but you won't convert him in that context because he's not there to be converted. He's there to convert you. That's a good word, actually. A lot better than you think it is. Turn to First uh, Kings 19. First Kings 19. Now when Ahab told Jezebel, verse 1, that Elijah, um, that Elijah, uh, all that Elijah had done, and how he'd killed the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods 
do to you to me even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of those by tomorrow about this time. And look at verse 3. And, and he, speaking of Elijah, was afraid. And he rose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is not... It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And, be, and behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones, a jar of water. And he rose and ate. And the angel came again a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great. For he arose and he ate and drank, and he went in that strength with food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, to the mountain of God. Verse 9, And he came there to a cave, everybody say cave, and he lodged there. And it goes on, that there was a winds and so forth. And then, God, then he comes out and, and God's talking to him. Verse 14, Then he said, Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, Go, uh, Lord said, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, anoint Hazel the king of Aram. And, and it just goes on to tell him what to do. And verse, uh, let's see, verse 18. Yet I, yet I leave 7,000 Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal and every mouth and every mouth that has not kissed him. I just, I just want to uh, show you a couple of things. Here's Elijah. He's had the greatest victory in his life. He, he challenges the prophets of Baal, Jezebel's prophets, to a contest. And you'll remember this at Mount Carmel. And he wins that battle. He kills the, the prophets of Baal. And God answers by fire. You remember this? Like this amazing fire, you know, this is like 4th of July fireworks. God comes down with fire and consumes the altar, licks up the water. I mean, this is like um, so amazing that Israel changes from serving Baal in one moment to serving God in the next. And Jezebel hears about it and she says, listen, I'm going to kill you the way you've killed the prophets. And he runs into the wilderness because of one woman. He's just seen an, an, this amazing miracle where God's fire has come down. It says that even God came down and licked up the water, whatever that looked like. In front of all these prophets, God just does this amazing thing. And they kill all the prophets, all the prophets of Baal with the sword. And one woman says, I'm after you. And he says, I'm getting out of here. And he becomes very suicidal and says to God, I want to die. It's enough. I'm, I'm done. And then look what happens. He says to God, they've killed, and they've torn down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with a sword. I hate to say this, but it was yesterday, it was just 41 days ago, that it was Elijah who killed the prophets with the sword. It was the false prophets. Man, you got to get this. He just had this amazing victory where they killed the prophets of Baal with a sword. When he repeats it to God, what he remembers is that they killed his prophets with a sword. And then he says, I'm the only one left. And God goes, okay, listen, 
listen, Elijah, I see why you're depressed. (laughs) I get it. You're alone. You're in a cave. You're delusional. And let me just make it really clear. You have a destiny. You need a friend. You're going to anoint a friend. And not only that, but you're not the only one. I have 7,000 other prophets like you who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So let's just be really clear. What you're living in is an illusion. Okay? So get a life. Now, what I, what I want to show you is this. I hope that I can convey this in a way that, that you can capture it and, it doesn't, and I don't lose anybody. There is a, there, the spirit realm can affect the way that you think if you get underneath it. When you get underneath it, you start to have irrational fear. Like everyone on the outside goes, uh, you're actually winning. No, that was actually the prophets of Baal who just died with a sword. There may have been some prophets who died with a sword, but the, 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 the ones in nearest memory are the ones that you killed like 41 days ago. No, you're not alone, and no, you're not the only one. Things are not... What happens when you get underneath that? As you start to exaggerate, the enemy gets bigger and bigger. And you get smaller and smaller and smaller. And you feel alone, and you want to just run into your bedroom, jump in your bed, pull your covers over your head, and pray for morning to come, or God to take you home. How many? Have, how many am I talking to anyone tonight? How many of you have ever been underneath that thing? Listen, there's one thing to be like Nehemiah, and the enemy comes in and he goes, "You know what? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. You who, who do you think you are? What you're doing's no good. You're not even good at what you're doing. You have bad motives. You're trying to make yourself king." And Nehemiah goes, should a man like me flee? By the way, my work rocks. I'm doing a great work for God, and I can't even come down to talk to you. I don't know why, but we feel like we are master negotiators, and we go down to talk to him. Listen, are you getting this at all? You cannot negotiate with terrorists. You can't negotiate with that spirit. If you begin to take on their their words, if you begin to negotiate with that thing, what happens is is that they send you pictures. Okay, this is going to get deep. It's going to help a few people in this room. First they give you thoughts, and then they begin to give you images. And the images are always you being destroyed in some way. Pictures. You know why? Because they, if they can get you to get that picture in your mind, you will conform to the image of an idol, which is you under the power of the devil. The enemy wants to first get you to talk to him. And that's usually like thoughts. Like little thoughts. It can just be like a passing thing. It's not really a passing thing. It's a flaming arrow. But you don't know it because it's disguised. And it goes, you know, you're, you're not really doing very good. 
You know, the way that you looked at that lady yesterday, that was something, it's probably something inside of you that needs to be fixed. There's some sin going on. Listen, there are times for you to become accountable to that stuff. There are other times when he gives you a thought and then he accuses you of it once he gives it to you. If you negotiate with that, once you start talking to that thing, it starts to get images. It starts to give you images. The images depend on what kind of spirit it is. I know this is getting too deep for some people, but just some people need this right now. If it's a spirit of pornography, it will give you pornographic images of you and her, or you and him. They'll come sometimes this quickly. They'll come and leave like that, but they come with an emotion tied to it. If you get in there and start examining where that came from, you'll think it's you. And if it is you, you'll have a history of it. If you listen to those thoughts very long, you'll have a history of it anyway. <laughs> Are you following me? And so what do I do? Well, the first thing you do is remind yourself of who God made you to be and that you are doing a great work for God because God called you to do it. Okay, so let's review. When you're in a battle, don't examine with the enemy. Don't talk to the devil about who you are. Okay? He hates your guts. He doesn't like one thing about you. Okay? Now, you might want to talk to yourself. You might want to talk to your friends who love you. But you don't want to talk to him. Secondly, don't examine the work under the power of that spirit. Don't look with that spirit. Don't look over your work with that spirit. Okay? It's kind of like, like you could do a beautiful painting and you, your first one you might want to show to your mother. You definitely don't want to show it to Johnny down the street who wants to beat you up. He's not going to think anything you did is any good. If you go down and talk to him, you won't come out feeling good. Don't matter how great your... Wow. Okay. And the goal is to not get underneath that thing. Okay, It's normal to have seasons of battle. It's not normal to lose. Everybody say amen. amen. It's normal to have battles. It's called our struggle. He didn't say some of your struggle. He said our struggle. Which means that everybody has them. Not everybody loses, but everybody has struggles. And some have bigger struggles than others. And da, da, da. There's lots of reasons for that. So, the goal is to not get underneath it. Once you get underneath it, you feel like you're drowning. How many have ever got underneath it? I have. That's not fun. Okay. Let's see if I had some more stuff to say that was good. Okay. Philippians 1.28, Paul says this. In no way be alarmed by your opponents. It's a sign of destruction for them, but a salvation for you. So what is one of the weapons that you use in warfare? You're not alarmed by him. So when he goes, Rawr! you go, oh, it's just you. Now, let me tell you that sometimes when he goes, Rawr! 
if that hasn't happened very many times, your heart probably beating out of your chest while you're saying, oh, it's just you. Some of you are looking at me like, well, he couldn't scare me. I'm like, that's good. I'm glad. I remember that I was going through this season. I've had many seasons, different seasons. And the Lord's taught me different things in different seasons. I don't, I don't know if how the Lord deals with you, but I, the Lord will teach me a principle. And like now we're talking about warfare. So right now we're talking about principles of warfare. He'll teach me a principle and I'll use that principle and it'll work perfectly for however long that the Lord's teaching me. And then I'll, I'll try to use it again. The Lord will say, no, we're going to do something different. And I remember that um, I, I was the, one, of the, one of the principles that the Lord taught me was a principle of worship, that worship was warfare. And the Lord said that one of the things that the devil wanted to do was distract my attention from God, and he wanted worship. And every time that I was afraid of him, I actually was worshiping him because I was giving an emotional response to his awesomeness. And the Lord said, I don't want you to feel that he's awesome. I want you to feel that I'm awesome. And that's why he said to Jesus in in Luke uh, 4, he said, he, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all my kingdoms. And the Lord said, when you fear him, it's because you think he's awesome. The, you know, fear is a response of, you know what I'm saying? There, there's the fear of the Lord. It's a positive fear, right? Like, he's so amazing, it scares the heck out of you. You know what I'm trying to say, right? And so the Lord was teaching me this stuff. And so I was learning warfare, like Psalms 149 says, with the high praises of God in our mouth, and a two-edged sword in our hand, we will smite, na- will smite nations with vengeance and will wrap kings in fetters of iron. And so for about, I don't know, almost a year, the Lord said, every time, every time the enemy comes in to attack you, I want him to leave bruised, beaten, scratched, bit, and make sure that every time he attacks you, he le- it costs him. Yeah, the Lord said, every time he attacks you, make sure it costs him. And so... I said, well, how is it going to cost him? So I went through this whole season where the Lord said, when he comes in to attack you, I want you to stop, lift your hands, and think of everything you can think of uh, about me. If you're afraid, it's hard to think of anything, if you've ever actually been afraid. And so I'm like, Jesus, I praise you because I just do. <laughs> I know there's something awesome about you, and I'm going to think of it in a minute. And what happens is, is that you start getting pressure to think of what you're going to worship God for. How many of you have ever been afraid and your whole brain shuts down, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, what am I thinking? Okay, God, there's something. Oh, yeah, you're the creator. That's, that's good. Whew. We'll just stay with that one for a little while. And Lord, I thank you because you're the creator. And what happens is, is that every time the enemy would come in, I would talk to him about how awesome God is. He's amazing, Lord. You're amazing, like... You kill your enemies. It's so cool. And, 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 you, and, you're, and you heal sick people. And, and then I st- first it'd be real general. Like I could just think of things the Bible said. And then and the Lord say, okay, well, make it personal. I'm like, oh, Lord, I so thank you that when my daughter was eight years old, she had grandma seizures for six months. And then you said, I'm healing her. And she's completely healed. And Lord, I just thank you for that. You are my healer. And I just begin to, and you know what? About 10 minutes of that, whew, you feel peace. You feel peace. How many of you ever... Why? Because now you're impressed with God. Right? 
So I went through about a year of this. So every time I would have any anxiety, sometimes I'd have to go in the bathroom. And I'd go in the bathroom at work, and I'd lock the door. And that's one of the reasons I got attached to the bathroom. I think I go so much. You get close to the throne in there, and I was like, I'm like, Lord, you rock. You're amazing. And my heart's on. I don't feel like God's rocks right now. You know, what you learn is like not to live by your emotions, right? It's like, okay, what's the spirit? And my soul's going, we're afraid. We're all going to (laughs) die. We're going to die. We're going to die. You're going to go crazy. You're going to put you in a crazy house. You're hearing voices. Voices, not good. Voices, not good voices. And I'm getting pictures of people taking me off in a white suit. and, uh, Mom, help. I'm having these pictures that they're carrying me away. And, man, you read the newspaper today. Crazy people kill people. Are you crazy? That spirit says we're crazy. Look, I got evidence. You are crazy. Now you know I'm normal. And I'm just like, you know, I'm in cold sweats. And I'm like, and the Lord's all worship me. And Lord, I like, <laughs> right now? She's like, you know, trying to be romantic with your wife when you're having a heart attack or something. You know, and the Lord's like, look, look, this is the answer to your heart attack. Like, you know, kiss your wife. It's like, kiss her goodbye or. <laughs> you know, Lord, this doesn't feel like the right season for romance. The paramedics are coming. You're going to die. And so I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love you for some reason. I really do. I just start to press into it. Like, I really don't know why I love you, but I, I know I do. Like, I remembered a little while ago. Because what happens is you get underneath that, it, that Jezebel thing. On everything you think, like the devil's really big, and there's, you're the only one left, and everything you've done is for crap, and, and, the, and all the... For whatever. And so I learned to worship. And I'm going to tell you something. For a year, it worked perfectly. Like, sometimes I would get a chair. Because I heard Winky Pratt, he did this. And he was really under pressure, and I, I, I heard a tape of his, and I thought, that's really good. And he'd get a chair and put one chair there and one chair. He'd sit in, and he'd put the chair right in front of him. He'd say, okay, devil, you sit there, and I want to sit here, and you're going to watch me worship. you got to do that when there's nobody home, though, because <laughs> otherwise it won't be, okay. It'll be your, like, wife, like, calling the pastor. What are you doing? Oh, the devil's sitting there, and I'm showing him how I worship. <laughs> you got to be careful how you apply these things. You know, or Psalms 23, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's like, okay, honey, cook for four. <laughs> Johnny, don't sit in that chair. The devil's sitting there. <laughs> it can get a little weird, so you have to be... Kind of careful. Oh, you sat on Lucifer. Go take a shower. So it worked really good for like a year. Like every time like I would just 
worship for anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, and I would, I was going to say instantly, that instantly isn't 15 minutes when your heart's pounding, is it? feels like forever. But I would worship, and, and little by little, over, over several minutes, that oppression would leave, and my mind would clear up. And what's crazy, as soon as your mind clears up, everything looks, makes sense. You know, like David said, you know, Bill read the scripture of the day about, you know, all the enemies are prospering and everyone who hates God is doing awesome and their kids are flourishing and everything. Then he said, I went into the sanctuary and I saw their end. You know, when you, when you get that thing off you, everything makes total sense. You're like, I don't know why I was afraid of that. I was kind of stupid. You kind of feel a little stupid. You're like, that was ridiculous. I'm not even going to tell anyone I ever thought that because that's kind of crazy, you know. And so that, that went really well. And then the Lord said, I'm going to teach you a new weapon. But I decided that that was, that was good. All I needed was a hammer because it worked really well. And so I started having these other assaults because we had this uh, lady who, was, who came out of uh, Anton LaVey's Satanist church living with us. He was one of, her, one of his disciples. And so then we had her living with us and all kinds of crazy stuff was started happening. Like the lights would turn on and off and pictures would fall off the wall and the phones would ring and there'd be nobody there. And you go to answer it and all the lights would go off. And, and I, I can tell you some really crazy stuff, but that's probably enough. And, and, so this, and so I was really had some anxiety about that. <laughs> It's all about scaring you, dude. Once you figure out that it's about you being afraid, once you, once you don't get afraid, it's amazing how much power you have. It's all about scaring you. No, I'm telling you. Listen, there's 48 ways to scare you. And the devil knows them all. And he's been using them for years. But when he starts to show himself, he's played his last card. I want to say it one more time. What I learned is this. As long as he can stay elusive and make you think that your thoughts are yours, that's where his greatest power is. When, he re- when you start to have a revelation that that's not you, then he goes to other methods and he starts appearing. When he starts appearing, he's played his last card because when he appears, he knows that he is actually... See, he's lost. He's lost because as long as you will believe that the problem is you, which sometimes it is if you have a sin, sin habit or whatever, you know, you have to take care of that, of course. You know I'm not talking about that, right? There's been enough talk about that for years. But as long as he can get you to fight you, you can't ever win that battle. And you end up in an ecosystem. He gives you a thought, you think about it. Key word, you think about it. He gives you a thought, you think about it. You meditate on it. You meditate on it. Then the next thing is, is that he accuses you of having it. Now we wind down. And listen, you can have all the reasons why that thought, like you can try to attack that thought with reason, but it's not, it won't fix it because the problem isn't in this realm. It's not in the, it isn't in the fact and reason realm. It's in the spirit realm. You can't fix a spirit problem with a reason. Are you with me? You can't reason a spirit problem away. You can only cast it out, overpower it, or out-truth it. <laughs> That's a good word. So I'm going through this season, and we're going through the season. It isn't just me, my wife, everybody, my kids, and everybody. They're having nightmares. We're having these crazy times. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm just going to give you, I'll just give you a little bit. I, I know there's children with this, so I'll try to not be explicit. But I need to just give you a little bit because sometimes the kids deal with this. Because my granddaughters, my granddaughter and my grandson have both went through this. So kids need to know that this stuff, how to deal with this stuff. And kids deal with it really easily, much easier than parents, actually, when they learn what to do. I started having a red-eyed thing come in my room. I won't describe it because there's young children here. But it was really, really, really scary. And it would, it would sit at the end of my bed night after night. And it was really, really scary. And so I'd worship and it wouldn't go away. <laughs> Whoa, bang, bang, bang! A <laughs> thing was impervious to like worship for some reason, for whatever reason. And uh, so um, I just went through this. It was gone, I just went on for a, about a month. And uh, so, finally, I, uh, the Lord said, um, I'm giving you a new weapon. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's ignore. It's ignore. That's all right. It stirs up stuff. It's no big deal. Um, he said, I want you to use ignore on them. I said, what does that mean? He said, when he comes into the room, I want you to just look up and say, oh, it's just you and go back to sleep. <laughs> okay, this is going to be very interesting. And he gave me this Philippians 1. Don't be alarmed by your opponent. It's a sign of destruction for him and salvation for you. So I had just read that that, that night, right? Now, normally, if I have any kind of bad dreams, whatever, I, I get up in my bed and I worship. Sometimes I don't even make noise because Kathy's sleeping. I just, I, you know, it doesn't have to always be loud, right? So I have this thing comes in my room, and um, I have a really, really bad dream. And I wake up out of the dream feeling icky. You know the icky feeling? Yeah. And, um, and I, I wake up, and it's right there. It's at, the, it's at my, the foot of my bed. And I go, and my heart's like, <laughs> and I go, oh, it's just you. And I roll over. I put my pillow over my head. <laughs> And an hour later, I went to sleep. <laughs> it never returned. It was the end of that. And, what, and so I learned, another, I learned another weapon of warfare. And that weapon was called, don't give it attention. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is not give it attention. Like it loves attention. Did you notice that? It loves attention. It likes to make noise when it exits. I'm just being real with you. It loves attention. It wants to get your mind off of God and onto it. It wants to be worshipped. It wants you to think it's awesome. It wants you to think it's powerful. How do you know when you're thinking that? (laughs) You have anxiety. That's a good word right there. Oh, I've failed because I'm fearful. Yeah, well, that's not a good time to figure that out either. Okay, is, am I going long? Okay. There's, um, let me give you, can I give you a couple of more before we're done? It's, it's hard for me to tell how long I'm going. I'm sorry if it's boring. There are times to fast 
to break the power of the, of the enemy, Jesus went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And let me just say this. And so you probably know that part really well because it's been taught over and over and over. There's, there's something that hasn't been taught and that is there's times to feast. There's times... No, listen, I mean warfare-wise. There are times to feast when you're under the battle. There are times when the best thing you could do is the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And there are times when a feast, and I'm not just talking about eating a lot, I'm talking about feasting, like where you get happy about it, is one of the most powerful things you can do. It's interesting to me that when Elijah went into the wilderness and he was depressed, the first thing the angel did was feed him. And he kept waking him and feeding him and waking him and feeding him and waking him and feeding him. And there are times when, you know, uh, how many know that spiritual problems can become physical problems? There are times when that thing is on you and it makes you feel like you don't want to eat. And then pretty soon your energy is really low and you need to sustain yourself. You need to take care of yourself. And let me just give you one more practical thing. You need sleep. Like if you don't get sleep for a week or two, that will make you crazy and it won't be the devil. I mean, he may be the symptom, but your hallucinations are because you haven't slept. And so I want to say that rest, it's not by chance that the Prince of Peace crushes Satan's head. Now, what I'm getting at is this. Peace is one of the most powerful weapons against darkness. Peace. If you get tired, you know, um, oh, I got a verse for it. Listen to this. It's in the Bible. Oh. (laughs) Hang on. It's here. I'll find it. Don't stare at me for just a second. Uh, But there's Daniel 7. I know what it says. Oh, here. Uh. It says that, oh, wait a second. It says that he was wearing down the saints of the highest one. And I know it's right there, but doesn't want to show itself. Come forth. What's up? Well, anyway, I'll just quote it. Which one is it? No, it's Daniel 7, though. It said that he was wearing down the saints of the highest one. da 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 Huh? 25. Yeah. Here it is. And he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he'll tend to make alterations in times and a law and be given to his hands, into his hand times, times, and a half time. What's he trying to do? He just tries to wear you out. Just tries to exhaust you. And what I'm getting at is this. Uh, another, another thing you need in the middle of a battle is, is you need sleep. <laughs> okay, that was too practical. <clears throat> you need sleep. If, you know, one of the things that happens uh, sometimes is that your nights can be full of warfare and you don't sleep a lot at night and you need sleep. And our culture doesn't do sleep, it does performance. So when you're in a war, you need to rest. Sometimes resting is the greatest warfare you can do. Like sometimes the greatest thing you can do is take a nap. Are you with me? 
And, uh, and, just, and the last one I just want to give you is this. Uh, Philippians 4 says this. Be anxious for nothing. Everybody say, don't be anxious. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will set a guard at your heart and your mind. Did you notice that your heart and your mind were two separate things here? It will set a guard over your heart and your mind. When does that happen? When you choose to not be anxious, when you pray and you give thanks, then a guard is set over your heart and your mind. I want to tell you that one of the things that happens in battle is you begin to lose thankfulness. Thankfulness is the first wall that begins to go in your life when you're under siege. Remember, it says that you will enter his gates with thanksgiving, you'll enter his courts with praise. The outer, the outermost place of the kingdom is a gate, and the gate is called thanksgiving. Are you with me? If you stop being thankful, he can get into the gate and, and he'll start moving into the courts. But as long as you keep the gates up, remember Nehemiah was restoring the walls. He said, you'll call your walls salvation. I think it's Isaiah 60, 17. You'll call your walls salvation and you'll call your gates praise. What keeps the enemy out? Your salvation, of course, Jesus Christ, and your gates are praise. Thanksgiving and pra- it's thanksgiving and thanks- no, thanksgiving and praise are the gates of your wall. When you stop being thankful and you start grumbling, the enemy has broken in. He's broken through the gates and he's in the court. Are you with me? You keep the doors of your heart. You keep the doors locked. And you can hear the enemy screaming out there when you're in a battle. If you're really in a battle, you can hear him screaming outside the gates. But if you lose thankfulness, he gets into the gates and he starts trying to get into the court. And eventually into the Holy of Holies, which attacks your very core of who you are. But if you stay thankful, you can lock him out no matter how loud he screams. Sometimes, if you're really under attack, if you've ever gone through this, sometimes you have to... You have to write down the things you're thankful for because you've forgotten them and you need to recall them. David said, I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. One of the things that I've done in my life is, in fact, I went through some of my old journals in the last month. Uh, I, I just, I, I got seven years of my journals and I started reading through them. And I, I, there was different times when I would go through really hard stuff and when I would do that, I would start writing down all the testimonies and all the things I was thankful for. And then I would take them, put it by my bed, and I'd wake up. If I woke up in the middle of the night, I would take that as soon as my, my mind came conscious, and I would read them over myself. God, I'm so thankful you did this. I'm so thankful you did that. I'm so thankful. And I would make lists, and two things happened. First of all, making the list would break that thing over me. And secondly, having it with me would, help, would be a weapon to use again at another time. Are you with me? So I would just keep thankfulness. And what would happen is, is that I would really want to, you know, when you're in a battle, you're, you're like, you, it, it's uncomfortable. So it's, it's common to complain. But this is not comfortable and that's not going well. And this isn't going well. And how many of you know that there's always things in your life not going well? Okay. Maybe you're different than I am. I mean, I, I think that I'm living... Like, I had dreams, but God said that He was going to do more than we can ask or think. I'm living beyond what I've ever asked or think, thought. More than I've thunk. I'm living beyond what I've ever thunk I would. 
Are you with me? And so, so uh, what was the point I was going to make out of that? It was really good. It was a good point. But yeah, I just make a list of everything that God did for me, and I would read them over myself. And now I begin to break that thing in my life. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I'm living in this dream. I'm living this dream life right now. But even in the midst of the best day I've had, I take any one day that would be a peak, and there's always things going wrong. There's always something wrong. I mean, you can't be responsible for this many people and not have something go wrong. Yes, you can't be. What is it that you feed yourself on? What do you focus on? I can tell you when you're thankful, you're thinking about all the things that are going well. And you probably are dealing with the hard things, but you're thinking about, you're meditating on the things that are going right. But when you lose thankfulness, you start to think about all the things that aren't going well. No. I mean talking about the other people, not us. We don't do this. I'm just telling you what other people do. When we stop being thankful, we invite the enemy to come in to the court. Now he's inside. And Nehemiah, you'll notice that when the enemy stopped yelling from the outside, it said he was trying to create a disturbance inside the camp. How does he get into the inside of the camp? We open the gates. We open up the gates of praise and the gates of thanksgiving. We take those gates off and we say, come in and torment me. Let me just finish reading this, and we might be done. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you've heard, the th- things which you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you've lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content with whatever my circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me just finish with a couple of thoughts. He said, whatever is good... Whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, and you go through the whole list, he says, let your mind dwell on these things. What table are you eating at? Are you eating at the grumbler's table? Are you eating at the table of fear? Or are you eating, are you feasting, in Psalms 23, are you feasting at the table of the king? Are you with me? Feast at the table of the king. Especially when you're in battle. When you're not in battle, 
When you're not in a battle, you're probably thankful anyway. But when you're not in battle, you can have a bad hour and it don't seem to really affect you. But when you're in the middle of a battle and you get thankless for a few minutes, it feels like you get overrun. So check your thankful meter and make sure that you're concentrating on things that are good, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. It says dwell on these things. Those are the things that you need to dwell on. And uh, two more things. He says he's learned the secret of, going, of suffering and going hungry, and he's learned the secret of living in humble circumstances and having abundance. And what is the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, one of the things that you need to realize is that God will never give you anything that you can't handle. I remind myself, like, all things work together for good. And the last thing I want to say is this. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> Yipper. That's a good word. Self-pity is one of the easiest ways to get tormented. Do not feel sorry for yourself. Well, man, you don't know what I'm going through. Listen, if you get really, really under that, I feel sorry for myself, go to the cancer ward at the children's hospital. Go to the streets underneath the bridges. I'm not being, I'm not being rude right now. I'm saying sometimes I have to expose myself to people who are in greater need than me to realize that I have nothing to complain about. And it doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. And I know that some of us are in tough circumstances. Some of you are in tough circumstances. You can always find somebody who's in a worse circumstance than you are. Well, I have terminal illness. Well, if you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. There are lots of people who have a terminal illness who don't know the Lord and who aren't going to heaven. So, I mean, don't matter what circumstance you're in, there is always some reason to be thankful. Are you with me? So refuse to become a victim. You don't want to become a victim. I remember that when I was all through the years that um, I was growing up, we were, grew up in not, not a very good home. My mother, she would pray with us, even though we didn't know the Lord. And the prayer was always the same every night. We always prayed for people who were less fortunate than us. I didn't know any. I'm sure there was. I didn't know anyone. But I, I remember my mom saying, Okay, and, and Jesus, please help those who are less fortunate than us. You know, my mom didn't know God, but I have a feeling that God gave her that prayer. Because in the midst of all the crazy stuff we went through, I can't ever remember feeling sorry for myself. As my mom taught us, pray for people who are less fortunate than us. So let me, just, let me just end with this. You were built for victory. You were built to destroy the works of the devil. You were built to live in great joy. You were built to live in peace. Eternity is yours. The kingdom is yours right now. You have weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And God already went to the end and said, you won. So you are not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You can't lose because the battle's already over. All you have to do is fight. You're fighting a battle that's already been won. And God says, I just need you to do this stuff. Well, Lord, how do I know if I'm going to win? Oh, no. It's already, I already won. 
just need you to enter the battle. And so tonight I want you just to stand. You know, um, I don't know if your house is like this, but my house, my house will be full of relatives by the time I get home tonight. It'll just be full of relatives. It was filling up when I left a few hours ago. And my relatives know that, um, that we have a supernatural school. So they feel like it's, they're obligated to tell us about all the problems that they and all their friends have. So my dad walked in tonight. He wasn't there 20 minutes. And he started telling me about my cousin who's been living with this guy for seven years who has a terminal brain tumor. They just found out about it. And, and you know, and anyway, so these stories. And, and I was like, I was exhausted. I was like, oh, that's, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. And, and, you know, then my mom came in and told me. And I was like, oh. And I, I started thinking that these, you know what? I was sitting on the front row tonight saying, I'm supposed to be a catalyst to hope. I, I've been given the answer for the world's need. And so I just want to pray for you right now. Just why don't you put your hand on your heart. And I want to pray for the Lord to give you a thankful heart and protect your heart. I know this message was really simple tonight, but I feel like for some people it's really, really necessary. Some of you have never been through any of this, so you're like, I have no clue what he's talking about, and I hope I never do. I hope I never understand that message. (laughs) Lord, I just release right now your peace, your thankfulness, your joy over every heart in this room. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would guard their heart. Now put your hand on your head. Lord, I pray that you'd guard their minds, their thoughts. Don't take your helmet off in the battle. Lord, I pray for their thoughts, that whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is righteous, whatever is of good repute, whatever is excellent, Lord, let our imaginations be taken up by you. (laughs) I love, uh, Danny was talking about Walt Disney Um, This morning, he was sharing about Walt Disney. You know what they call the um, engineers? Uh, They call them Imagineers. Oh, I heard that last couple nights ago. I was watching a documentary on Disneyland, and they were saying the Imagineers. I'm like, oh, that's what we need. We need to be Imagineers. I'm going to get me some ears. I'm going to join the Mickey Mouse Club, man. I'll move into a new realm. Lord, we just, and you know how he has the ears? Lord, we just pray for Imagineers. Come on. Lord, just release ears to hear, eyes to see, that we begin to, to imagine with God. We begin to be Imagineers. We begin to create worlds that have never been seen yet, God. That you would just dream in us. Oh, that we would be, Lord, that we would be the clay and you would be, that you would model things that, you've, that have never been exposed. You know how they build cars uh, out of, mo- they build, they sculpture, um, what am I trying to say? They, you know, when they're, when they're designing a new car, they make it out of clay first. Lord, I just pray that we'd be like, we'd be prototypes. Come on. We'd be prototypes of things yet to come. That we that are, that you would just that you would just that you would dream inside of us 
that you would write in the, in the imagination of our minds, and our chalkboards of our minds, that you would draw beautiful things in our minds and hearts. Lord, just release us to dreaming with you. And Lord, every place where people are, are attacked or tormented or whatever, Lord, I pray that you would break that off of people tonight. That you would encourage them that they have the mind of Christ. Lord, you've given them your brains. Lord, I pray that you would just, that you would just brainwash us. Come on, we need to be brainwashed. Lord, I just pray that you would wash us with the, with the water of the word. Just wash over our, our minds with your word. Lord, let us be lovers and worshipers. And let us war through worship. Lord, let us not be overly conscious of the devil, but let us be extremely conscious of your presence. And Lord, let us be, be a catalyst to great joy. In the name of Jesus. Amen.